Welcome to the 60th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will talk about Major League Baseball and have the latest installment of random assorted important news with some NBA stuff mixed in there. Let's jump right in with a look at Major League Baseball. This time we will start in the National League East. Patrick? Yes, normally we talk about the NL West first and then move on to the AL later, uh, but this time we're going to be mixing it around to start the second half of the season. Uh, so we're starting in the National League East this time, where the New York Mets are in the lead at 47-40. and 40. The Philadelphia Phillies are three games back in second place at 45-44. and 44. The Braves are in third at 44-45, and 45, four games back. The Nationals are in fourth at 40-42 and 47, six games back. And then the Marlins are in last at nine and a half games back. Uh, at 39 and 51, although somehow the Braves have the best run differential in this division and the Marlins have the second best, uh, can be explained by a few anomalies. I mean, even their Dodgers series, they won three one run, they won three one run games, and then lost by three in the other one. So they kind of tend to do that, except for they normally do the opposite, which is actually them breaking the trend. Normally they beat teams by a lot and then lose by only a little. Uh, which is why they end up with a positive run differential, even with such a bad record. But uh, I think really, since we're talking about this in a post-All-Star break context and near the trade deadline, a lot of these teams would tell you, except for the Marlins, that they love where they are. The Mets would say that they love it because they're in first place and they can't really, you can't do better than first place in your division. Um, But then the Phillies and the Braves and the Nationals would tell you, we have had a lot of injuries, a lot of other problems to deal with, and we're only three, four, and six, depending on who you're talking about, games back, and really a trade away from probably closing that distance. Although, in the Braves situation, Ronald Acuna is now out for the season with a torn ACL, which means that uh, they're not a trade away, and they tried to make a trade that can help close that gap somewhat. But I think they don't close a four, a four. I I already said that I don't think they're closing this gap. And that was without knowing that he was going to be out for the rest of the season. And if you're taking this as a one-to-one thing, uh, Atlanta traded for Jock Peterson, traded one prospect to the Cubs, Bryce Ball, who's now the 29th rated prospect in the Cubs system. So kind of a confusing one by the Cubs, but I don't really know that much about how much, how valuable a prospect is in relation to uh, an outfielder on a one-year contract. But uh, look, We like Chuck Peterson because we're Dodgers fans here, but look, this is not a one-to-one replacement for Ronald Acuna. It's not even close. Uh, It it will not reach there defensively. It will definitely not get there offensively. So I think the Braves still have a lot of things that they need to figure out. Um, And really, they're the ones who are trying to probably buy the most at the trade deadline uh, just because of the nature of their team, whereas... The Phillies and the Nationals probably have some more wiggle room because the Phillies have Bryce Harper locked up for, I don't know, the next eternity. Uh, And the Nationals have a lot of extensions. Scherzer has a no-trade clause that he'd have to waive to be traded in the first place. So they have a lot of things that they can do to keep their roster together pretty easily. Soto's signed for a long time. So they don't really have any problems there. They can buy or sell, but the Braves, I think, are really locked in to buying at this point. Yeah, um, I think you've summed it up pretty well. You know, Atlanta getting Jock Peterson, if Acuna wasn't hurt, maybe that would be a sign of right. shoring up their bench, right. getting a left-handed power hitter off the, you know, who could come in. And they do need platoon. lefty They do need lefty hitters, but, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not even a stopgap right now. It, what we'll, we'll get to the Central next, and maybe we should just move there, 
because I think that move says a lot more about the Cubs than it does about the Braves. Yes, uh, in the Central we have the Milwaukee Brewers in the lead at 53-39. and 39. Uh, Four games back of them are the Cincinnati Reds at 48-42. and 42. The Cubs tied with the Cardinals for third at eight games back, 44-46 and 46 for both of them. Uh, although the Cubs do have a better run differential, but they're also 2-8 and eight in their last 10, and they would tell you that that doesn't really matter. Uh, and then the Pirates are in last 18 games back, 34-56. and 56. Y- You said it. I think that the Cubs trading Jock Peterson is a sign of things to come. Uh, there are a lot of reports and rumors that they will try to get extension talks going before trade talks with a lot of their guys, Chris Bryan, Javi Baez, uh, and possibly Anthony Rizzo too, although... There are also rumors that Anthony Rizzo uh, extension talks went south, downhill, however you want to describe it, before the season even started. And that was some of the concern that started to set in with the Cubs organization of, look, we might feel this championship nostalgia towards this roster, but the roster itself does not feel that it's that tight together. Rizzo will tell you that his former good friend David Ross is now the manager of the team, three years removed from his playing career. It isn't the same team at all. So this team, it's just not the same. They've lost more pieces than they probably can think of. Um, And I think that at some point they just have to detach themselves from this team because, look, this 2016 team, as I'm saying, that won the World Series, is not the team that they have in 2021. And the rest of their division isn't really as weak as it was back then either. Uh, And they don't have as much of an opportunity to kind of just hang around and see if it goes well. And the fact of the matter is, with how with just the amount of players that they have that they're going to lose next year if they don't trade them or extend them, they can't really sit in the middle. They don't have the option to say, eh, let's try to contend, let's not buy, let's not sell, and if we lose and if we lose just Brian in the offseason, that's fine. Look, if they lose one of them, they're gonna lose all of them, pretty much, is what I would think. Uh, maybe they keep maybe if they get if they lose Brian in free agency, they keep Rizzo and maybe keep Baez, but I would say that losing one also makes it so the others don't want to stay as much. So there are a lot of issues that come with that. Um, but yeah, the Jock Peterson move really does say that they might be looking into selling at the trade deadline. That was a one-year sign that they made to try, kind of try to bolster their outfield, make it a little bit stronger and more deep. And look, if they're trading him for a prospect who, as I said, is not even like high in the ranks of their system, and he's not doesn't have an ETA anytime soon, according to all the prospect rankings. Looks like he's coming up in two or three years. That's like a really big moving towards the future move, not even like a next year or two years from now situation. That's two or three years down the road that that would even make any bit of an impact. Yeah, I think uh, they've waved the white flag, and with St. Louis uh, being very disappointing this year, this has become a two-team division between the Brewers and the Reds, and Frankly, I don't think the... the well, I wouldn't say that because I think the Cardinals are going to buy at the trade deadline because they have nothing else to do. They have nothing to sell and they don't need prospects because they're good there. But, and they frankly... To, they haven't been able to... Get, they seem like they're stuck in neutral all season. They haven't been able to get in gear. I'm not disagreeing with you. Well, they were they were leading the division for a while and I think that they still know that, whereas the Cubs really only had one run where they won like 12 out of 13 games and they were on top of the division. And other than that, they haven't been even close to the lead and... Even after such a good stretch, they barely had the lead and then let it go about five, six games later after that series loss to the Dodgers, which I think is the I think that's the deterrent for the Cubs, whereas the Cardinals have been in a very long, extended slump for the way that their roster is. And I think they'll say, 
Maybe once we stop playing the San Francisco Giants and the Dodgers, maybe we'll start winning some games. That's true. They might and win then, make up ground in division play. I think they definitely think that their roster is better than the Cubs, the Reds, and the Pirates. And also, I think that if they're not playing NL West teams, which it, it, it feels like they've been playing them a lot, I feel like they think they can beat a lot of the other teams in the NL, uh, yeah. including even the Brewers at the top of the division. I don't think they were that... I don't think anybody thought that one of those teams was running away from each other from from the beginning of the year. Some interesting research we, we might want to do in the coming weeks is uh, to see how many games the Cubs have left against their other division rivals because that's the other thing. If the Cubs go into selling mode, it could have an impact on this race because they might be a weaker team and uh, the other teams who might be facing them down the road might actually have an advantage. Where it might if you like play a, them more, a yeah. Tough series and traditionally the Cardinals and Cubs are rivals and I think traditionally those games they play each other a lot late in the year so. Maybe that's something for us to, to research. Well, they have future. one game postponed that they have to play later in the year from last weekend. So that's true. They're already so one game behind. One. You, <laughs> um, you want to move on to the National League West? Yeah. In the NL West, we have the San Francisco Giants in the lead at 57-32. and 32. The Los Angeles Dodgers, two games back of them, actually for the best record in baseball, not just the lead of this division at 56-35. and 35. And the unlucky Padres, who would be leading pretty much every other division in baseball, or at least within a game, who are six games back of the Giants at 53-40, and 40. Uh, although they did take a two-game losing streak into the All-Star break. Uh, and then you have the Colorado Rockies, who are 18 games back at 40-51, and 51. and then you have the Diamondbacks, who may not even be worth talking about at this point, but I'll still say their record, because after all, it is the worst record in baseball, so it's an important parameter. Uh, at 26 and 66, 32 and a half games back of this division, with a minus 150 run differential compared to the Dodgers plus 142, which is a little bit inflated by the Dodgers beating the Diamondbacks 21 to two. Uh, that was or 22 to one, I believe. Yeah. I don't really, I don't know. It doesn't matter. 20, 20 something to one or two. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but yeah, the Dodgers. Of course, beat the Diamondbacks twice going into the break, but the Giants also carry a four-game winning streak into the break. Both of them have kind of stayed relatively even after their series against each other, uh, the little two-game mini-series, I should say. It felt like the Dodgers were going to reclaim the lead at some point, and then both teams kept losing on the same nights, and then now they've just been winning on the same nights. And then one one night where one lost, the other won, and now all of a sudden it's back to two games, and that's where it stayed. San Diego, on the other hand, has had a tough time keeping up because, I mean, look at the rest of the league. Apparently, no one else can keep up with the Dodgers and the Giants. There's a reason why they have the two best records. But, look, we've talked about this enough. This is going to be a close division race all the way to the end. However, I will say, the one thing that I that is in, interesting to note in this division, the Padres are 20-21 and 21 on the road. They have a losing record on the road. Uh, that is something to watch down the stretch because I know that the Dodgers had a losing record for most of the season on the road, uh, or for most of the first half of the season, I should say. But then that kind of got evened out after they were done with that little 5-15 and 15 stretch they had where a lot of those games were on the road, which probably led to that being such a bad stretch, too. That's part of it, for sure. Uh, but then as they kind of steady, evened out, even their seasoned out, they still lost a few road games here and there that made their record stay under 500 for a while. But now it's at 26-21 and 21 and 30-14 and 14 at home, which is... Pretty much almost identical to the Giants, although the Giants are just a little bit better uh, on the road and a half game better at home. So it just goes to show you that those two teams are really, really evenly matched. And look, I don't know if the Padres can can hang in this race. It, it is definitely still a three-team race for now, but I, I'm starting to doubt the Padres' ability, although I think that they will make a lot of trades at the deadline, and whether that will help them or not enough is a different discussion. But 
I think they'll have a hard time avoiding the wild card. I think that I could see either the Dodgers or the Giants comfortably winning this division, but if San Diego is going to win it, it's going to be a grind, and it's going to be because the Dodgers and the Giants have a bloodbath between each other in their matchups, and the Padres just decimate the Giants and the Dodgers when they play them. I think there's no other way that it'll end up that way, because look, the Dodgers and the Giants are really, really beating up on the bad teams, and also I just think that when you have six games to make up, and you're probably... Well, you're not more talented than the second-place team. You might be more talented than the first-place team, but that's a debate in in and of itself. Uh, But it's just too hard to overcome, and I think that... I I also don't think that the Dodgers and the Giants are going to have a series that's going to be back and forth all year because at the beginning of the year, it looked like the Dodgers were going to win that season series pretty easily uh, as they went into San Francisco and swept the Giants, and then the Giants came back and beat and won three out of four at L.A., and then it looked like it was going to be even again, or maybe even San Francisco turning it in their t- in their favor. And now you have the Dodgers winning the little two-game miniseries. So look, it's going back and forth a lot. Um, and it, it's hard to tell, but I have a feeling that the Dodgers will be able to not, not necessarily destroy the Giants, but establish an advantage in that series. And the Dodgers have played awful against the Padres all season, and that's going to change too. So look, I don't think the... I, I think just because of those two things... Uh, And the Padres have played pretty even with the Giants, too. I just think that that's going to continue, whereas the Dodgers might flip the script on both of them just because of the talent on the roster and getting that second-half intensity and having their full roster back and being a little more rested after the All-Star break. I just think that the script might be flipped, and then all of a sudden it might be over for everybody in this division, especially the Padres, who are already operating at a six-game disadvantage. Yeah, uh, if you're the Padres, you got to be frustrated because you've played really good baseball. Um, and it seems like you don't gain any ground. You actually lose ground on the Dodgers and the Giants. As you mentioned, last two games had to be for the All-Star break. They lost two games to both the teams ahead of them. So they feel like they're playing pretty well, yet they can't make up any ground and they're losing ground. If you're the Giants, you're happy. You're thrilled. Best record in baseball, playing great baseball, really playing solid. And I think if you're the Dodgers, you're happy too because as we talked about ad nauseum, all the injuries they've had, now in addition, obviously the Trevor Bauer uncertainty and Clayton Kershaw going on the 10-day uh, injured list, so he misses his start, so they're down to three starters. To be going into the All-Star break, down only two games with everything that's happened to you, frankly, uh, this, as I've said before, this year, this could be tied but for, was it Tuckman's rob of uh, yes. Albert Pujols walk-off? Yes. That, that was, he robbed a walk-off, the Giants won that game in extra innings. That's the difference in this division right now. If you're the Dodgers, given everything that's happened to you, you're sitting in this position, I think you're feeling pretty comfortable. Um, but again, you, you mentioned it, the Padres... Um, have a chance. We talked about it at the end of the year. They play a ton of games against both the Dodgers and the Giants. Um, I, I still think if you know if San Diego even stays within six games heading into mid-August, it's still their division. Uh, it's it's within their within their own hands. But um, they're definitely going to have to you know play some serious strong baseball at the end of August and probably get some help from other teams. But now let's move on to the American League and let's start in the East again. You have the Boston Red Sox at the top, 55 and 36, looking like they might not make any trades. Probably not. Uh, Then you have the Tampa Bay Rays, one and a half games back. They're likely to make trades just because that's what Tampa Bay likes to do, no matter if the trades end up helping them or not. They just like to trade a lot for whatever reason. Uh, The Blue Jays are are in third, eight games back at 45 and 42, tied with the Yankees, but the Yankees with a different record at 46 and 43. Interestingly enough, even though they're both eight games back, Toronto has a losing record at home, although they are returning to Toronto on July 30th, which is actually very important for them. Um, So maybe that home home field advantage starts to turn in their favor a little bit more. 
They have a run differential 71 runs better than the Yankees, even though they have the same record. And they're also 15 runs better than the Red Sox, who are eight games ahead of them. So just a little interesting thing there, because this is not a situation like the Marlins where they're plus 14 and nobody in the division is better than plus 19. The Red Sox are plus 57. That's not bad. That's really, that's good. But the Blue Jays are somehow at plus 72 and only three games by 500. It's crazy. Um, and maybe when they go back home and they're actually playing in their real stadium, they can turn it around because they're actually up there in terms of road record. They're pretty good compared to the rest of the division. Uh, and then you have Baltimore at the bottom who are currently rivaling the Diamondbacks. Not so much, but close enough for the worst record in the league. They're the only other team with 60 losses at 28 and 61. 26 games back very early in the year. A minus 138 run differential. But I think the most important thing to talk about in this division is that the Blue Jays have already started making moves a long time ago, and they continue to make moves, and it looks like they might even make more. But the Yankees, I feel like every single name that we say is available, everybody pops up with, oh, what if the Yankees get him? Oh, what if the Yankees get Marte? Oh, what if the Yankees get Gallo? Oh, what if the Yankees want Scherzer? I feel like every single name is tied to the Yankees for no apparent reason, whether it's actually based in rumors or reports or anything is is a different discussion. But I feel like any name you bring up, everybody's like, why don't they trade him to the Yankees? And they acquired Tim Locastro, so they're clearly not, they're clearly looking for a lot of different things at the moment. Uh, left field was a huge need for them. And by the way, if you get Joey Gallo, you're going to slide someone else over in the, in the left field from, from center or from right. Uh, probably not Aaron Judge, but... Gallo's got to go somewhere. I don't know if he'd go and left. We'd see who would move out of Judge and Gallo. Probably Gallo because of defensive reasons, because Judge has got that ridiculous arm of his. Uh, but that's a possible trade. Marte plays some more center, some left too. So it'd be it'll it'll be really interesting to see what the Yankees do. But the Yankees also have uh, too many right-handed bats. So Gallo may be a better fit than Marte. It would be very interesting though, uh, and it looks like he fits kind of the mantle of the club, but. Uh, what are your thoughts on what the Yankees might do oh, and what, what they've been tied to, which I, I seems to be everybody? the Yankees are, name always comes up in trade rumors for a variety of reasons. One, they frankly, have money. frankly, the Yankees like their name to be in trade rumors. They like, they're a brand. They like to have their name out there. They like the publicity. So I don't think they shy away from that. Two, and, and also probably because a lot of the media is in New York. So that's where these rumors emanate from. Two, the Yankees are historically willing to spend money. Even if it's a short-term rental with a big contract, take them on and or somebody who's maybe going to be going to free agency that another team doesn't want to, a la Jock Peterson, which is a bad example, but uh, an example like that where they're at the end of their contract, a team wants that's out of contention wants to get rid of them because they'd rather get something for them than nothing for them if they leave at the end of the year. Which the Yankees, they will because most of those bad teams are bad and not very desirable to stay exactly. at. Exactly, whereas the Yankees think, okay, we can, we'll, we'll take somebody, we'll either take on a big contract that somebody wants to dump, or, or they'll we'll, resign with us or, anyway. Or they'll we, we have enough money to offer them to resign with them anyway. So I think that's the natural reasons why the Yankees are involved in these trade rumors. And now this year, because they need something to help them make up this gap in the division, because normally they're leading the division and they don't really need much help, but right now they need a lot of it. Yeah, normally so they're, they're really fortifying things. Yeah, yeah normally they're, normally they're linked to some other names like a third or a fourth starter. Now they're getting <laughs> now they're getting uh, linked to starting right fielders who are all-stars and home run derby participants as opposed to, uh, and maybe would have been all-stars if they weren't injured for most of the season, as opposed to just the backup outfielder like a Tim Locastro. So, 
Yeah, it does look like the Yankees are really trying to bolster their roster. And they need to if they're going to be competitive. This division's tough. I mean, you're three games above 500 and you're, you know, tied for second to last place um, and actually further back in the loss column. It, it's a tough division. So if they if they want to win the, the division, the Yankees historically have been an organization that doesn't accept anything but but winning, but winning the division, they're going to need to make some moves. So that's another reason why their names are linked to all these rumors. So now let's move on to the NL Central. AL Central, excuse me. <laughs> in the AL Central, we have the Chicago White Sox in a very, very comfortable lead at 54-35, and 35, eight games ahead of the Cleveland Indians, who are eight games back, as I said, at 45-42. and 42. Uh, The Indians going 3-7 and seven into the break, and then the White Sox going 7-3 and three into the break. So very opposite sides there. Somehow the Tigers carry a four-game losing streak into the break, and are still in third place, tied with the Twins, who carry a four-game winning streak in the break. But they're both 15 games back and have no chance of winning this division, let's be quite honest. Uh, then you have the Kansas City Royals at the bottom of the division at 18 games back. They will be sellers at the trade deadline, although I don't think they have anything that anybody wants, to be quite honest. Right. Um, I, I don't think they're going to trade him. I think he, I think he's signed for a long time. You know, you don't. none of these teams are going to want... Uh, long-term contracted guys, but also everybody who has a good team has a good catcher right now. I don't think you can find any team that's deficient at catcher. The Cardinals are fine with Yadier Molina. Uh, the Brewers have an all-star catcher. The Phillies have an all-star catcher. The Mets have some good catchers that they like, uh, especially for defense, too. The Dodgers have two of them that they like, and their top prospect is a catcher. The Giants have a top prospect catcher and Buster Posey, who was an all-star uh, the Padres have, two, okay. have right. three yeah, good yeah, catchers. Yeah. Point well taken. There's no one who's going to want a catcher. Maybe maybe the Rays. Oh, wait, no, they also have an all-star catcher. No, they have a slugging catcher <laughs> and a defensive catcher. They got all they need. There so it's actually strange, though. I feel like there is normally a catcher deficiency with top teams now that you mentioned. It's actually weird that I go through all of them. They all have good ones, and the White Sox even have two good ones also. So, yeah, I don't think anybody wants Salvador Perez, also because he's he's pretty old, too. Uh, and that probably the end of that contract might take him to the end of his career, possibly. Uh, so probably not a desirable trade um, target. But I think that in general, the AL Central is just controlled by the White Sox, and there's really nothing anybody else can do about it. Uh, especially with Shane Bieber on the IL for the White for the Indians, there's really nothing they could do to catch up to the White Sox. And when you think about it, no shame to the Tigers' young players. As I said last week, it looked like they were going to be. It looks like they're trending in the right direction for a few years out from now. But a bunch of nineteen and twenty-five year, a bunch of nineteen to twenty-five year olds are not going to beat the White Sox. It's just not going to happen. They're too old, not, not in a bad way, but they're too they're too experienced is a better word for it. Lance Lynn and Carlos Rodon are both in the Cy Young discussion. Look, there's just too much on this roster for the White Sox to be able to lose, and they also have the reigning MVP. They got great pitching, great hitting. And they've been injured all year, and they're going to only get healthier from here. And they're already in a comfortable eight-game lead. There's just really nothing that can upset them from winning this division. Yeah, and it doesn't look like anybody else in the division even is even going to contend for the wild card. So. Oh, and definitely not when the Twins are 39-50. and 50, And yeah. it looks like they have a lot of good pieces that they either got to figure out, are we doing an extension, or are we giving them away and getting something back? Yeah, this division really is the White Sox and everybody else really playing for second place or... Struggling to get Probably to not playing for second place, to be quite honest. But, <laughs> yeah, but that definitely doesn't look like they're play, uh, playing for a postseason berth. All right, well, there's not much 
to talk about the Central. Let's move over to the AL West. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, going back to that, I think the AL Central is the only division in baseball that feels like there's literally nothing to talk about other than good players on the White Sox and a few good players everywhere else and maybe some prospects at other places. And making (laughs) fun of the Twins. Yeah, and making fun of the Twins for uh, underachieving pretty much every single year, especially when it gets to the playoffs. But all the other divisions have storylines, including the AL West, although this one's not so interesting either, to be quite honest, because it feels like the Astros are just figuring it out and they're going to win this division. Um, They had four players who who were supposed to go to the All-Star game that all were ruled out. They've all been playing injured or have or have had other things that they've been dealing with for a large majority of the season, especially when you talk about the injuries. Maybe not Ryan Presley with the paternity leave, obviously, but everybody else has been dealing with a lot of injuries on that team. They all get activated right after the All-Star break today, and somehow, even with all that to deal with, they're three and a half games above Oakland, who honestly really hasn't had that much trouble to deal with this season uh, but that's kind of what they need. They need a team that's just going to stay durable and hopefully just overperform because, as we know, the A's just don't spend nearly as much as any other team does. The A's and the Rays kind of staying in that same position. The Rays really the only one ascending all the way to the World Series. Uh, but the A's, look, I don't, I don't know how they, I don't know how they're going to win this division. I don't think they can. Uh, but I think the most interesting thing in this division is third place teams, the Seattle Mariners at 48 and 43, because it looks like a seven game deficit to the Astros is not something you can close. The Yankees were in the middle of a slump and came into Seattle and took two out of three and barely lost the third game in the series. This is not a team that can compete with top teams. And I think we all know that. The question is, do they feel like these pieces, plus maybe a few others and some of their top prospects will be enough to compete with top teams in the future? And in the very near future, because if they do, they might want to hang on to a lot of those pieces that they have. But if they don't, who are they going to trade? Where are they going to trade them to? And what are they going to get back for them? I think is the most important thing. And look, we know the Angels aren't selling, who are nine games back, two games back of the Mariners at 45 and 44, because what do they have to sell? They have Rendon, they have Trout, they have Otani. And I think those are the only... And and Walsh also, who was in the All-Star game, made a great catch in the All-Star game, actually. Uh, But... I don't think the Angels have anything that they can sell, and probably they don't want to be in a position to sell, whereas the Mariners are really stuck in between because they know they're not contending and they know they're not a losing team anymore. So I think that's the most in- in- interesting situation. Then you have the Rangers at the bottom at 35 and, fi- and 55 who will be selling, uh, whether it be Joey Gallo, whether it be maybe really anybody else. could even be Kyle Gibson, who was also an all-star. It could be a lot of people that they could be selling by the trade deadline, but we'll have to see what happens there. Yeah, I think uh, in this division, you, like you've said, the Astros look like they're going to continue to put distance be- between themselves and the A's. And then it's a matter of uh, do the A's get into the wild card. So uh, with that, uh, I think that wraps up our look back at the limited action uh, in Major League Baseball this past week, obviously due to the All-Star game and associated activities. So maybe let's have a little discussion of those, um, starting with the Home Run Derby. Yeah, I would just like to say... Um, I don't think my picks, I don't think my bracket was busted. I think that my picks um, horrendously underachieved, especially Shohei Otani and Joey Gallo. Now, I will say, Shohei really has a good excuse because he was also supposed to be pitching the next day, and you can probably think of all the things that's go- that are going through his mind at his first All-Star game and also just being, I mean, what is he supposed, I mean, he's starting the All-Star game the next day and hitting leadoff, and he also has to do the home run derby, and then he also has to go back and play for his team later in the week. Like, there are too many things going on there that, frankly, 
I almost think that he should have said no to one of them, whether it be starting as starting a pitcher game, yeah. or maybe even just not pitching it, maybe just not even being the DH, just letting someone actually get a DH, putting Nelson Cruz or J.D. Martinez as the starting DH and then just kind of pitching. That could be one thing, just pitch an inning and be done with it. Uh, but his home run derby performance was not good, and nor was Gallo's. I think they both hit really a surprising amount of like ground balls and kind of what would probably be if there were fielders' lineouts, I would say. And then Shohei and Shohei had a lot of doubles. I would say is the best way to describe it. A lot of balls that were right off the fence that almost went out but didn't. And in the end, it's about how many home runs you hit, not about how far you hit the ones that don't go out. So he loses to Soto in the first round because of that. Uh, Soto wasn't able to really carry that on, uh, losing to, of course, the eventual champion. It was a long first round, though. A very long first round after all those tiebreakers. But uh, yeah, eventually he loses to Alonso and look. Alonzo had this event locked up as soon as he hit 35 home runs in the first round. Uh, I would also like to give a special shout-out on the on the positive side. How about Salvador Perez hitting 28 home runs in the first round? He hit the second-most home runs in any round of this entire home run derby and lost in the first round. That is, that is the definition of, I got a bad draw, <laughs> because he would have beaten every single other competitor in the home run derby, in literally any round except for Pete Alonso, 28 home runs in a round is a lot. And by the way, that is obviously excluding Soto and Otani in the tiebreaker, but I don't think that's really fair if you're counting three extra gimme swings that are untimed and an extra, what, minute and a half? Yeah, that's not really fair to count for him. But look, and by the way, if he, even without having an extra minute, he still would have been tied with Soto and Otani. And if there was a three-way and if there was a little three-way matchup there, he would have been in the swing off himself. So, look, Salvador Perez was really, really great, really, really entertaining. And it kind of got overshadowed because uh, everybody was talking about Pete Alonso and actually, funny enough, on the broadcast, talking to Pete Alonso while Perez was hitting. So he got overshadowed a little bit, but a special shout-out to him because, look, I actually had said that he would beat Pete Alonso in the first round just because I felt that he would put out a really good performance. He did exactly what I thought he would do. Pete Alonso was just ridiculous the entire event, and uh, that's why he won, because he was just surely better than any other competitor that could have been thrown out there. Yeah, and I didn't pick him to win because I'm like, oh, he's not going to be interested. He won it last year, and uh, I found out that he probably he made more sal- more in his uh, home run derby win a million dollars than his annual salary, which is pretty ridiculous but great motivation. Um, the other thing I do want to say is one of, that I thought the format is great because they had more swings, but it was... Hard to watch on television um, in terms of how they covered it because there were multiple balls in the air sort of at the same time. But they got to figure that out. But I, I did like the, the format and speeding it up a little more. Um, and then the best part of the home run derby for me was the dude who fell over uh, the edge, um, head over heels, landed on his head in the aisle. But uh, I, I laugh at stupid stuff like that. All right, well, so there's, that's the home run derby. Let's turn to the all-star game itself that was won by the American League 5-2. to two. Patrick, any thoughts on that? Well, this was the only game. This was the only part of the All Star uh, event where Shohei Otani had another good stretch, but it was just one inning of pitching, and then in the end, he grounds out twice. Uh, I think once on even the first pitch. Really, just I would I, look. There's nothing against Shohei here. I love Shohei. He's a great player. He's very, very, very entertaining to watch. But he did not have a good All Star break and uh, performance at the All Star events. But in the end, he's still a great player. But I will say. Vladimir Guerrero's home run was crushed. I mean, if you put that, 
and you put the home run derby scoreboard and you photoshopped it for me, I would honestly think that that was a home run derby home run, especially with the goofy jerseys that they were wearing. Uh, And don't get me started on those jerseys because they did not look good and they should have flipped the jerseys the other way around, wear the gimmicky jerseys for the gimmicky events and wear the real jerseys for the real event, especially if the jerseys aren't going to look good, which they didn't. And I don't know what's up with it because Nike makes really, really great jerseys in every other sport. And for some reason... It might be the design people who are working for baseball and who think that the fans will like this kind of stuff. I think the only baseball jersey made by Nike that I like is the are, are the two uh, City Connect jerseys that they made for the White Sox and the Marlins, and really all the other ones haven't been that great either. Uh, and then these these All Star jerseys were not were not. They yeah, didn't I, I'm going to predict that they're probably going to be the lowest selling All Star jerseys of all time if we can look that up. I don't know. They probably will be. Who would want to own that? Disgusting. I mean, it's probably. Honestly, it it reminds me a lot of when they did the American League and the National League and just put American and National in the Padres logo font uh, when the All-Star game was in San Diego and everybody wanted San Diego to change their logo uh, and they still did it. But by the way... These still looked worse than that, which is a really low bar to be at. They they were really bad jerseys. Uh, But moving on from the jerseys, look, again, back to Vladimir Guerrero and Photoshop and whatnot. There are so many, there are just so many things that you could talk about in this game. Chris Bryant came up with the bases loaded in two outs twice and made outs twice. One of them a strikeout, one of them a... You know, it's hard to tell because I don't know Jared Walsh's range in left field because he typically plays first base for the Angels. Uh, but it looked it, it was a great diving catch, but at the same time, I feel like Mookie Betts, uh, even Cody Bellinger, who wasn't even in the game, but a lot of the guys in the game, Aaron Judge, who have a lot more range in the outfield, probably make that play without even diving, without even making it look like it's a hard play. Uh, so I wouldn't say he was robbed of a single, uh, but in the end, the, the National League loses 5-2, to two, and by the way, you get a hit with the bases loaded twice, that could be four runs very, very easily. Uh, and by the way, a lot of solo home runs in this game. So it, it felt like a very, very 2021 baseball game. Uh, and it didn't feel like a Coors Field game that much at all, to be quite honest. Yeah, very low scoring for Coors, for a Coors Field game. And as you mentioned, uh, the National League 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position, including Bryant 0 for 2 and those two at bat. So not uh, no clutch hitting there for the National League. And then I will say that also the AL with runners in scoring position had a ground ball, well, with runners on, had a ground ball double and a ground out that scored a run and then another ground out that scored a run. So And an earned run or two. Yeah, so there was, there was a lot of stuff going on there that, you know what, the National League played pretty sloppy for an all-star team, I think is how I would describe it. Uh, but... Overall, I feel like the game was not, I'm not going to lie, it wasn't too interesting, and the jerseys didn't really help because it made it hard to look. It'll be interesting to see what the ratings were for that game. I didn't look it up. Although the, the ratings were actually very good for it, but I, I think that's actually not a good thing because at the same time, I feel like there are a lot of other interesting things that uh, if, if All-Star Game ratings had been better in the past, uh, this game would have had even better ratings, even though it wasn't very good, but then it would make people say, oh, I'm going to come back and watch this next year. It, it, people seeing this five to two, I don't think will come will come back next year and be like, "This was really entertaining. I want to watch it again." Just like when you see an NBA game in the All Star game where it's one hundred and fifty five to one hundred and fifty, you come back and say, "That doesn't look like the one hundred to ninety nine NBA Finals game." So let me not watch that again. Well, maybe the ratings were high because there hadn't been a game last year, so it'd been a couple of years, and people wanted the nostalgia. All right, well, that wraps it up for our look at baseball. Now let's turn our attention and talk about some random, assorted, important news in the world of sports. 
In quick soccer news, Italy beat England to win the Euros, and Argentina beat Brazil to win the Copa America. Uh, special congratulations to Lionel Messi, who actually wins his first, uh, ma- as they call it, major international cup in his large, long, illustrious career of his. Uh, so very big accomplishment for him. And although he did not score in that game and actually blew an open chance at it, uh, the Euros seem really, really different from Copa America. And as a non-soccer fan, it feels really odd to watch because I don't really know why it's so different. But there, I feel like there's a lot more flopping and a lot more physicality at the same time in in the uh, in, in the South American side of the game when compared to the European side. But that's a different story. Uh, and then moving on to more uh, overseas action. Congrats to Novak Djokovic and Ash Barty on winning the men's and women's tournaments, respectively, at Wimbledon, the singles tournaments, which means that I went 3-0 in my random sports predictions of, uh, in my random assorted important news sports predictions from the last, uh, from last week. And then more international news, although this one for Team USA, Bradley Beal is out due to COVID protocols and Kevin Love is withdrawing for really a multitude of reasons. Uh, and instead, now we have Keldon Johnson and JaVale McGee in for Team USA. We will see how that turns out. Uh, I, again, I feel like John Morant or Trey Young could have been there to replace Beal instead, but I've heard that there's a lot of, uh, not animosity, but I, I don't think either of them want to play, which, you know, everybody has their reasons. I mean, look at who, look at the list of who's not playing, and it would probably beat the list of who is playing. Uh, actually, would beat them by a lot. Let's be quite honest. Uh, LeBron already would carry that squad way too much. But there's a lot of players not playing for Team USA this year. Uh, but I also think Julius Randle could have been a good replacement. I, I, I would think the JaVale McGee pick was very surprising uh, to replace Julius Randle, especially when it feels like this team was built intentionally to not play with centers. And now you're going to bring in a super, super traditional center. Feels like it could... Kind of disrupt the flow that the team was in, but I don't know. I trust Greg Popovich to do to coach well because it's Greg Popovich. He's a great coach. But let's move on to the last topic we have. Game five of the NBA Finals. I uh, didn't want to predict it in my weekend predictions because it's only one game. If anybody noticed last week, I had to re-upload it on Instagram because it completely screwed with the format of the MLB and you couldn't even see all my MLB predictions. So one game predictions don't won't get posted there. Uh, but in game five of the NBA Finals, we have the Bucks. At the Suns, I'm going to pick the Suns to win this game just because I think they rebound and just because I'm superstitious, and I just think that every single home game is going to be a win this entire series. What do you think? I agree with you. As we talked on the last podcast, um, the first team to win a road game is going to win this series, and if they don't, that means the Suns are going to win, and I think that, that holds true to form. I think and the Suns I, win this game. Another thing that I think is that I don't think Chris Paul can play as bad as he did in Game 4, and I don't think Chris Middleton can play as good as he did in Game 4. And that game was a close game that basically came down to Giannis blocking uh, an, a DeAndre Ayton a DeAndre Ayton dunk at the end of the game. So when you think about it, that game rested on a very thin margin. Although De- although Devin Booker also fouled out eight different times in that game and actually never ended up fouling out. Uh, he he had eight fouls and only and somehow stayed in the game. Don't ask me. It's just ref, NBA refing magic. Um, but at the same time, as much as I hate bad refs, which you've heard a lot about. I do like that they had the best players on the floor to decide the to decide uh, the game at the end of it because frankly some of the fouls he picked up earlier in the game weren't really fouls either so in the end they were kind of makeup calls or makeup non calls I should say but let's hope there's no foul trouble clouding the end of this game uh, and nobody trying to intentionally foul someone and then not getting called for a foul 
on such a, on such a bad call that the broadcasters even called it a foul without hearing a whistle and then not getting the foul. Yeah, uh, but I, I think so. You and I agree. It's the the sun that we think the Suns are going to win, and we're hoping for a better officiated game. It, it just feels like the stars are aligning for the Suns to win this game, just based on the trends of this series, the trends on how these teams play. It feels like this is going to be another game where Giannis has a big game and his team just cannot muster enough from the rest of it uh, to come alive and just win the game. And maybe maybe the one thing that could change is that Chris Middleton might have an off night, but Drew Holiday can step up for, for really the first time in the series offensively, although I will say his defense is the reason why Chris Paul does not look like, looks like he's just completely off on the court in the last few games. All right, well, that will end this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please join us for our next podcast, which will be on Monday, July 19th, where we will talk more about the NBA Finals, including Game 5, coming up. Uh, And we will see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions. In the meantime, be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB Power Rankings on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.